Hey everyone, this is Dr. Tran. Welcome to the Malware Tech Podcast. Joining us today is obviously Malware Tech, since this is his podcast with his name. Hello, thank you for welcoming me back. <laughs> <laughs> we have uh, Deviant with us today. Word. And then also our special guest is uh, Tara joining us as well. It is lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. Lovely to have you. Um, I think today we have a number of interesting topics. We have everything from ransomware against hospitals and, and medical establishments to things like TrickBot, as well as uh, what happens when ransomware, uh, when companies pay their ransomware, um, uh, you know, make the payments to get their data back. So um, I guess maybe the first thing we can kind of jump right into is the news about how certain medical systems are being hit with ransomware. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there was one maybe two weeks ago in Germany itself, and then I think most recently even in the U.S. as well. Absolutely. Uh, I honestly, I'm going to say the only smart thing I can say about ransomware, and then let way better people talk about it than me, which is that it's a fascinating redefining of a lot of the influences and a lot of the drivers in the industry, and how historically data breaches you know, data breaches, companies were not incentivized to talk about it. They were not incentivized to really take any appropriate action. And ransomware has changed all of the influence. Ransomware has changed what it is more typical that they will or won't disclose to people. Um, it changes, yeah, it, it actually changes the model of, of influence and of what drives the industry in which directions. Uh, I yeah. come at it from a game theoretic pr uh, perspective, I think, which is um, as somebody coming out of, of enterprise and corporate information security, ransomware is um, is a scourge, but only to people that don't have good backup and restore systems. And remember what Elizabeth's wiki says, which is everybody thinks that they need backup until they need backup. And then they realize that what they actually needed was restore. So as somebody who comes out of enterprise security, honestly, ransomware is the greatest tying hands mechanism ever. It is something that you can use that is understandable by people who are non-technical to say, look, this is the reason we need to upgrade our systems. The reason we need to have perpetual, continuous integration and, and patch management cycles that are not you know, years at a time. So it's it's a it's a good sort of thing to have in your back pocket because people understand what it is. It's a little harder to explain like network incursion, right? And as a yep. threat, the, mm -hmm. if, if it's really only ransomware that yep. the criminals are using, the data isn't actually at risk, mm -hmm. like of being sold on, you know, the black market. Oh, mm -hmm. it is though. Um, hey. <laughs> unfortunately, with the, the new ransomwares, they're taking a multi-pronged approach and it's, ah. they steal the data before they encrypt it. So if you don't pay, not only do you not get your data back, well, you do get your data back, but it's through data leaks to the public. And then they... um. <laughs> There's actually, I've got a whole list of sites, like pretty much every major ransomware group, except for one. If you don't pay, they put your data up on a website. And then one is, I think, selling it to on the side as well as the ransom. So oh, wow. it's, a, it's even more complex than that. It's like you're getting hit by a data leak and you're getting your data destroyed. Um, it's, well, they're, they're trying to find ways of just further monetizing yeah. what they've accomplished. Before it was just the ransom. Now it's, hey, I can also leak this or sell this data as well. But I think what's interesting about the University of, of Dusseldorf one uh, that that hospital system was, they were actually not targeting the hospital. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, they were actually targeting the university system and inadvertently also hit the hospital that was associated with it. And the authorities actually reached out to him and said, hey, buddy, you were reaching for, you were hitting, trying to hit the university, but you actually hit a hospital and this is going to kill people. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, crap, and actually decrypted everything, but it was too late because I think someone was diverted because a of that. A woman died. Yeah, a woman died because she was diverted. To, and, and it was time, I don't remember what the, the situation was, but it was time critical. And she ended up dying because she couldn't get care at that hospital. So mm-hmm. it sounds like the, the perpetrators were not intending to hit the hospital and did not want to do bodily harm, only want to do financial gain and, and financial harm, potentially. But once they realized what they had done, because the authorities reached out, they tried to back out, but it was it was it was too late. So I thought this was a really interesting case because you don't I don't think we've ever seen a case like this before. Um, yeah. So at the start of Corona, um, a bunch of the groups actually pledged not to hit hospitals, which was interesting because mm-hmm. it feeds into my theory of these are not necessarily evil people. They're just people who are very distant from the the uh the implications of their actions and so they all said at the start of the pandemic we're not going to touch hospitals um this group i believe was actually one of the ones that pledged not to hit hospitals and as you said they they had a university they ransomed the entire university's network and it just happened that the hospital was connected to the network and uh yeah they they pulled it out but it was too late and the media was kind of saying it was the first ever case of a death due to ransomware i i know that not to be the case there's been uh quite a few now mm-hmm. but they're they're quite tricky to attribute like with WannaCry, there there must have been deaths due to that like if mm-hmm. a single hospital being ransomware for what was it like 12 hours or something right was able to kill someone then basically hospitals all across many countries across the world being ransomed with no way to actually get their data back because WannaCry, as we know, wasn't decryptable. Like, there's got to have been some casualties with that, but it's quite a hard thing to like, uh, like to measure because if some you redirect someone to another hospital and they die during transit, were they going to die anyway? Was that redirection what made the difference between life or death? It's very hard to quantify if the death was directly due to the ransomware or not. That's um, this is the thing that I'm I'm working on right at the moment. It's um, I I rarely get a chance to talk with you about this malware tech <laughs> because uh this it's it's weird that I know you frankly um but this is the thing that I'm working on on my Fulbright this next year is literally going to the the NHS in the UK, spending time with individual hospitals because what you specifically said was the reason this this interests me. You said it's hard to quantify the number of deaths that have happened. That is literally my project this next year is for the first time, hopefully getting a statistical end on the number of patients total impact. This is it's simple bivariate statistics, right, to get a total end on the number of patients affected and then the numbers of patients that were that experienced what you would consider a, a, a harm by it, not just affected, not just lost their records, but people who experienced penicillin shots when their medical records would have indicated that they were allergic or had surgeries moved or experienced second or third order permanent damage or death as a result of this. What you're, what we're describing in the, in the hospital in Dusseldorf is something that uh, if it was a nation state, I would call it the reason I'm doing this work, which is trying to define 
collateral damage in nation state cyber attacks. In the US, when someone isn't a nation state and they attack or they, they do a crime, they don't do crimes, but if you do a crime and it is a bad crime and someone gets hurt, you can be convicted under what is in the United States is called felony murder. That doesn't mean you had anything to do with an actual killing. It could just mean you drove a car in a bank robbery, but someone died in the commission of the crime. Th this sounds like whatever the equivalent in Germany would be of felony murder. And if it was a nation state attack, which I, we're not seeing any real indications right now that that specifically was a nation state attack yeah. or an APT. But if it was, that would be a very clear example of what I would call um, collateral, cyber collateral damage or civilian harm in nation state attacks. Yeah, I think they said they were maybe pursuing charges of uh, whatever the German version of manslaughter is. Right. It's negligent homicide, yeah. I think, is what they were calling it. Which is what generally they tend to do outside the U.S. The U.S. Mm -hmm. likes to go for intentional homicide, if possible. Mm -hmm. Whereas most places, if you didn't have an actual a part in the death, like a direct part, it would just be manslaughter. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, the ransomware one is tricky because a lot of it is not... In fact, almost all of it is not nation-state. It's um, uh, criminal groups with nation-state ties but not mm -hmm. operating at the direction of a nation-state. It's very hard to even know who, who to blame for the attacks. It's hard, but at the same time, we're starting to get better and better at the attribution measures and after a certain period of time, too, there's a there. Once we get better and better at attribution, there starts to become a, a negative effect, where there's an expectation that groups will will declare they didn't have anything to do with an attack, just as you would have seen in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, where all of a sudden you've got you know revolutionaries declaring that they had nothing to do with a recent terror attack. Most of the time, they were telling the truth, mm. right? So you start to get a negative effect now, where APTs are declaring we didn't have anything to do with that, and you can most of the time believe them frankly. Um, There's a lot of interesting cognitive behavioral work in in um, in politics and in conflict theory on this one. Uh, I, I think a lot of it is just so, so complicated because mm -hmm. there are cases where they want to be caught for what they're doing. Like they want people to know it was them. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, election interference. Uh, mm -hmm. a, a small amount of the point is deciding the outcome of an election. But the the really big point is that hey look we can we can control your elections like yeah, we can do this yeah. we have influence and power over you like the the fact that uh, a lot of the people being involved with election interference were so easily attributed it makes you think that a lot of the intention is actually the point that they can do it yeah I think it's they can do it and they know they can get away with it uh, yeah, because countries uh, that meddle in in elections. They have done this for gener they've done this for decades. It's not anything new. The techniques may be different, but they've been meddling in elections of other countries for decades. Normally it's just napalm in a South American jungle. <laughs> I mean you used to, yeah, you used to have to play with the price of banana futures. Now it's, you know, first name bunch of numbers. <laughs> <laughs> first name bunch of numbers, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just crazy. Like mm -hmm. they, they know they can get away with it, like I'm not going to name any names, but some people have killed uh, quite a few people on U.S. soil. Uh, sorry, U.S. and U.K. soil, mm -hmm. gotten caught for it, and then just held up a middle finger to the agency that uh, that ID'd them. Mm -hmm. Correct. Well, the more numbers and the more statistics behind it in the future, the less you become able to escape the consequences of your actions. So there's good and there's bad in that.
But with the other, um, ran I, I think it's ransomware, maybe you guys can correct me, but the, the universal health services, I think I also got hit with something. Um, right. Uh, I was, well, I was right. skimming through the articles. I wasn't sure. Was it ransomware? Was it, it something was. else? It was both, I thought. Ransomware and breach. Yeah, so uh, Ryuk, or have you pronounce it, the anime named ransomware is um, one of the ones that exfiltrates data before it encrypts the files. Mm -hmm. And then I believe they also leak it if you don't pay. Mm -hmm. So they, I think they hit like the umbrella company that controls a bunch of hospitals in the US and they took out all the hospitals with it. Universal Health, yeah. We're waiting for the day Epic Systems gets busted. I have no idea what gross. that is. It's that? the it's the uh, health information system that's used by an extraordinary number of uh, of healthcare companies, hospitals, doctors' offices. It is it is the the Windows XP of it's the Windows Vista of <laughs> uh, of healthcare information systems. So and you know this is this is not to say that the people building it didn't have good intentions. It's just it never occurred to them that someone might want to get into them that wasn't supposed to like the number of times that doctors or nurses have walked away from me alone in a room with a terminal and a keyboard. And uh, like, I've never, I've never done it, but all I'm saying is it is trivial. If you ever wanted to try it, don't try it. Oh, but, yeah, I've, I've been yeah, left alone. We're in trouble yeah. on that one. Yeah. I got left alone in the waiting room. So I, I had a look right. on their machine and it was mm -hmm. running I couldn't even idea it was it was it's something ME. older than XP. I think it was it's ME. ME. Uh-huh. And yeah. I was like, the fuck is like this is uh -huh. running a like a critical medical procedure and this machine uh -huh. is older than I am. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah number I, mean, I think of there IoT. are a lot of these a lot of these platforms that are designed to, to interconnect businesses or similar industries, they they either were designed years ago and security wasn't a concern. I mean, you mentioned hospitals, but even air travel. The, the mm. system that enables airlines to basically honor tickets for like, uh, was it like code sharing or, or things mm -hmm. like that. And that system is ancient. And mm. if you know how that system works on the back end, you can basically just start issuing yourself first class tickets anywhere and not have to pay. Mm -hmm. Time to learn a new skill, me thinks. <laughs> yeah, it's the, it's, it's the transport industry equivalent of, of backnet yeah. of building automation control oh yeah yeah i'm i look at, at that kind of security and one of the more fascinating ones i've had conversations on aviation cyber i was actually just in a conversation on aviation cybersecurity before i stepped into this one here and i'm fascinated by the level of openness in wireless transmission protocols in aviation security. You know, there's no security on it because it's just an open bandwidth for uh, for aviation. The only thing stopping most people from using their Baofeng ham radios is just a firmware control on the device. You can reflash it and talk to planes. So, oh yeah. These are wireless aviation protocols or, or WAPs? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm trying. I'm trying hard, but yeah, no. What's <laughs> well, like SCADA systems? They just want. I mean, yeah. they just mm -hmm. wanted things to mm -hmm. work. They didn't really think about security. Uh, so yeah, I I'm not surprised that mm -hmm. issues like this come up. Yeah. I mean, it even happens with the latest Windows. Is you'll you'll find a component that they haven't looked at since the '90s. And you'll just shake it and bugs will fall out. There'll just be vulnerabilities here, there. I love that image. You just take it, you <laughs> shake, shake it, it and bugs, and bugs come out. 
<laughs> I mean, it's 90% of vulnerability research. Is uh, There was a really critical one. Uh, one of the RDP zero days was mm -hmm. actually a code base from uh, a remote desktop in Windows was actually built on top of an older protocol made by uh, another company. I think it was Citrix or something. Mm -hmm. And it, this code had not been touched since before RDP existed. So this co code is like maybe a decade old and someone took a look at it and they're like, oh, look, there's a vulnerability. And then they ended up being able to make this code that will just remotely hack an RDP server without any interaction from the user. But when you think there's entire uh, classes of infrastructure that no one has ever looked at the infrastructure at all, not any part of it, it's it's not a surprise that it's so horribly insecure. One of the things that scares me on that one is I know exactly which Citrix stack you're talking about right now because it's used as a textbook classic example of how to do um, of how to inject shellcode for um, for privilege escalation. And when I say used as a textbook textbook example, I mean I'm in that class right now where it's being used as a textbook <laughs> example. Like that was my last night doing a study session. Um, and it was essentially on removing leading zeros in the Citrix stack that we're talking about right now. Like it's that, <laughs> it's that trivial that it is a textbook example written down. So, yeah. Well, you mentioned how it could be a boring topic, the idea of the Windows XP source code leak, but how much, you know, little, like little stuff in newer versions of Windows is just sort of like copied over and built on over from previous versions of Windows, right? Are people going to find things in something as dumb as like, I don't know, the character map tool and yes. be like, oh, wow, this is the yeah. same character map tool that's been <laughs> since Windows 98. And look, if you actually get someone to do that, like you, you could, I could see socialing someone trying to tell them, oh, there's a new emoji. If you just go, you know, oh, launch character map and then scroll to here and click this unused square. Mm -hmm. That could be, yeah, I'm fascinated by what's old is new again. Well, the thing with the XP leak is it's, it's not like people haven't been reverse engineering this code for decades. In fact, there's a, there's a project called React OS, which is, um, I think it's, uh, oh, what was his name? It's just to create the open source Windows stack, yeah. right? So it's a, a famous Windows uh, researcher. I think he used to actually work for Microsoft. Um, Name begins with Alex, uh, I think, Ionescu or something. Oh, Alex Ionescu, yeah. Mm -hmm. I yeah. know him on Twitter. So yeah, he, smart he, dude. Um, he helped uh, build uh, React OS, which is basically, they have made a clone of the MT kernel from reverse engineering XP. And if you compare it to the real XP code, it is incredibly close. It's almost identical. Mm -hmm. And um, like it's not like this stuff hasn't been available for years. So I feel like the actual XP code leak is very negligible in terms of security because anyone uh, who is doing vulnerability research has already reverse engineered all this code anyway. So it's just really giving access to a much lower bar of researchers. One of the things I've seen happen is it's honestly less about needing to reverse and rediscover everything as the pain in the ass of rewriting all of the other code that all of their exploits lie on top of. Like the difference between 32-bit and 64-bit architecture a lot of the time, it's it's more just that it's a it's a pain in the ass to rewrite it. 
like going from Python 2 to Python 3 and like exploit DB or something like that. And oh God, so you've Python got the low hanging fruit, right? Bane of my existence. <laughs> Do, see, exactly. That's what I'm talking about, right? Because you go through and you're like, oh, what, what is, why is this bracket jumping out at me instead of this parenthesis right now? Oh, okay. Cause we've just upgraded to Python 3. So like, I look at, I look at that and see a lot of this so much is low hanging fruit at this point that, I mean, respectfully to all of the people here who are better at this than me, but why would you bother to go for O'Day? You can like my my concern in life is the statistical behavior of human beings. And statistically, people are low hanging fruit, right? Like just do the old stuff. It's going to keep working and people aren't going to upgrade, including hackers aren't going to upgrade until they have to. Right. You got to rewrite everything in Python three. That sounds exhausting. Wouldn't it be more fun to hang out and play Overwatch? So. <laughs> Well, I mean, for the majority of attacks, that is what happens. They exploit mm -hmm. the human, not the software. Yep. But there are there are cases where you need either the human not to know, or there to be no detectable trace, or you just need a hundred percent certainty that the attack is going to work. At mm -hmm. which point, that's when you start going to zero days, and those those attacks are very. Uh, they're either typically government or government sponsored. That uh, most of the criminals are not using zero day attacks but they, they still do have a value. Let me ask you something just in your opinion on this one. See, so you said, you know, zero knowledge from the target. Is there fundamentally, I mean, like, are we talking like a, like a, like a minuscule difference here between an attack executed in RAM, something that's like zero logs, zero notice from the person and a zero day, right? Like anything executed in memory that there's nothing written to the file system. Does that fundamentally, since it's not leaving a trace, isn't that fundamentally the same thing in in terms of usefulness as a zero day? Um, in the example well, you're giving? Well, the problem is the the entry versus the execution. Because okay. you the running from memory is once you're already on the system. Like you can mm -hmm. do that with malware, but you have to get the malware in somehow. So say you fish them with a, a malicious document, mm -hmm. they're gonna have that document is gonna be like on the physical disk. And someone can come along later and be like, uh, this document we found it in the in the Slack space after it was deleted, and um, you've been you've been fished. Whereas with a zero day, is you can go directly into RAM remotely, and there will be maybe they have like deep packet inspection, or they're able mm -hmm. to inspect SSL traffic. But assuming they're not, and that request comes down over HTTPS, so say they're on a forum, and you've uploaded mm -hmm. a, a video that is uh, has a zero day in it. And they browse that video you're going straight from their browser into memory uh and it's very unlikely that they're going to have logs of this so it's uh it's basically two different levels of undetection the undetection mm -hmm. of the payload and the undetection of the initial entry yeah the most you'd be able to do is some kind of probabilistic determination of how many processes are running at any given time versus what is on average running at your system at that time of day like maybe we're talking ai at that point yeah yeah, I mean, like a lot okay, of these attacks. You said the buzzword. Got a drink, <laughs> buzzword. Oh, okay. I, I am new. I am new onto this this conversation, so I shall drink. I mean, yeah, like Ooh. most of these attacks never yeah. ever get detected. That's why I think Google released a okay. thing that they've only ever seen 120 zero day attacks in the wild, and that's because mm -hmm. there's literally hundreds of thousands of them, or maybe not hundreds of thousands, but thousands. But no one ever knows because they don't spray them out there. Mm-hmm. And they're very targeted because they don't want evidence of it out there because someone will notice something and it gets burned and you can't use it anymore. Pretty much. 
May I ask, is that specifically awesome key lighting that you've put on one of your surfboards, or is it just catching the window and the Ooh. sunshine perfectly behind you? I think it's just the sunshine. Because I know people get on you about backgrounds. Yes. And, uh, people we, get on him we about can't, We can't all have a, have a furry wall. Are you teasing <laughs> him about his lack of a furry wall? This furry wall is perfect, actually. It's like super like ASMR and stuff like that. Like just... Uh, like there should be like waves cracking in the background. Ooh, so so maybe maybe we talk gift. about that. Talk what? about that because some of our audio listeners aren't going to be able to see this screen, this this okay. backdrop. So oh. maybe we can describe what it is. Yeah. So oh. behind us, it it looks like we have a fake background. Like it looks like Elmo screen. guts. But it's not. This is mm. this is a giant wall. So relaxing. Made of fur. Yeah. And, but why? Uh, yeah. Why? The question, sir, is why not? Because it feels amazing. Because it gets weird up in here after pandemic time is all I'm saying. And I'm saying our audio probably sounds better than both of yours now. Actually, yeah, it's a kind of great. It's sound. a great audio muff. That's a good point. Yeah, you're right. It does it'll probably help absorb some of the bouncing around well, and echoing. If tech needs a fake furry wall or anything else, I've finally <laughs> gotten it back into its original package. So coming oh. to you is going to be your green screen web around that Wendy Nather had recommended to us. Yeah. Uh, I used it a few times, but Furry Wall kicks its ass. So mm -hmm. in future episodes, those who are not merely listening, all the more reason to actually, you know, watch the video, perhaps. You the can video see... version is so much better. Yeah, we'll put the video Spotify. version of Just you. Just watching me pet something behind his head right now is all I'm saying. You'll get to see <laughs> text in a million the... far-flung locales. We can get the statistics out of the video more easily. Isn't that true, Tech? Like the yeah, podcast that, statistics correct. a little bit harder. Yeah, we, we don't get very good viewer statistics from Spotify and Apple. It's so we know what people like more when they watch the video version. Mm. You can yeah. see what parts they've skipped. Yeah. Mostly when I'm talking. That's no, <laughs> it's, it's mostly me. <laughs> I think they listen to you a lot, babe. But um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't listen to me. <laughs> I listen to you. Yeah, I kind of cheated, and I, I got a really expensive had. mic the, well, that doesn't pick up reverb. So that's fair. I got uh, sent it to me by um, by a sponsor, so I nice. I luckily don't have to worry about uh, sound absorbing panels or anything like that because I have a lot of bare walls here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've been looking at a cheap, for mirrorless anyway, cheap like mirrorless cam to use as a webcam that Sigma makes. Mm -hmm. uh, I know nothing about cameras, uh, so Drew and everyone else in my company who does surveillance will make fun of me. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's just just native USB out as a webcam. There's no mid middleware device. I like the middleware to be honest because it gives you extra processing power and um, it's just more ad hoc-y. I have no desire to learn. Hockey is my new flow. shadow Twitter yeah. account. <laughs> so I, I just don't like USB stuff because there's all these issues with the USB, and I'm also pretty short on USB ports anyway. Mm -hmm. and what I actually have is I have the Lumix GH5, which mm -hmm. is mounted on a weird panel above my monitor, and then I have that run into a, a capture card for usually for recording Xbox gameplay. Mm -hmm. So I can I can uh, record directly off a HDMI feed which the camera supports. And that's the nice thing is that very few uh, mirrorless cameras have USB, like live USB feeds. You can mm -hmm. plug it into USB and you can send the footage across, but you can't stream it. Right. Whereas almost every single modern mirrorless or even DSLR camera has a HDMI port that will stream. 
so it's it's perfect for me it's just like you can take any camera and you can plug it in and the capture cards are only a hundred dollars and they also have their own encoding so you can encode on the capture card rather than using your cpu which is pretty nice back in the day when i used to rip tv shows and upload them to top sites and bs there was hopage was the capture device uh, who makes your capture card uh elgato elgato yes yeah i'll stop to correct him on that but i didn't want to be that guy <laughs> mm. i don't know how it's pronounced i don't know if it's like this uh... spell it you're in california you're near los gatos but los you, gatos. Have all, you have only one of them mm-hmm. actually you're not near that that's up by no. the, the valley isn't it i believe it's an american company so i don't know how the name is supposed to be pronounced but it is spelt like the uh the spanish word supposed to be if it's if it's a latino sounding name it's pronounced in a racist way saying we'll lock you up or something if you're an american (laughs) a little too political sorry we're trying to stick to pumpkins hey very exciting right now for me like as a as a human being and a person is that in harry potter hogwarts mystery um last night they switched over to the halloween themed version so it's like i'm back playing wow again like 15 years ago with the Halloween events that are going on. But um, now there are just pumpkins everywhere in Hogwarts. Hmm. How does it feel to be a Harry Potter fan now that the, the writer is a, is a self-declared piece of shit? Okay, so this is a super <laughs> relevant question. It's a relevant question because we have to start having conversations about what we do when artists are pieces what? of shit. But the art that they created has been inclusive mm-hmm. and brilliant and joy-filled and matter. And I, I came to my conclusions on this about a decade ago, actually, because I'm a huge, uh, and take deep breaths on this one, I'm a huge Orson Scott card fan for Ender's Game. This is a book that came out in 1986, and it's a book that spoke to so many people that I know. And I know you weren't born yet. But <laughs> calm down. So the, there were so many concepts in it that were just, they, they really spoke to a lot of people that I know and to me about um, thinking differently, about what it means to see the world in a different and strange way as a child when you know that you're processing the world differently than the other kids around you are processing. When they're coping with like Barbies and you're like having a solipsis existential crisis, you know, and, and you're trying to like process the meaning of, you know, the the meaning of life and what does it mean to be a a human being and you're realizing that no one around you is really asking these questions um the there's a there's a statement and a concept in ender's game um in the first part of battle school where ender first commands a squad in the battle room and it has to do with seeing the world differently and the statement you might have seen maybe divorced from any notion of where this comes from is the enemy's gate is down And it has to do with stepping into a space and turning it 90 degrees and looking at it in a different way. Very closely related to Dead Poets Society, another movie that existed before you were born, um, where standing on your desk means that you see the world a totally different way than you might have otherwise. And that concept was deeply meaningful to me. Orson Scott Card was, and to the best of my knowledge, is against gay marriage. Um, a, a, a devout Mormon, and at the same time, someone who I think is probably part of the progressive wing of the Mormon church. Um, many of his perspectives on women would exclude me from people who would be meaningfully getting lessons from that book and taking it into war studies um, as, a, as a woman in this field. I have a hard time with that, but I have chosen to take the lessons from that and apply it in my life in a way that are meaningful to me. 
I have this conversation when I study information security and I deal with having to learn tools from uh, dude bros who have who have said horrible things about women. Um, and I have to learn their shit in order to pass certific certifications, you know? So looking at, at JK Rowling and being a fan of Harry Potter, I think to myself, I remember the joy and fun and love of learning and reading about this stuff. And the author has now released her full control over that world. It doesn't just belong to her anymore. We get to make of that art and that world, what we choose to make of it. And I will no longer ask permission of her to take joy in it or to disagree with her representation of it. Instead, I'll just use it for what it is and make my world a better place as a result of the work she created a while back. Make sense? Yeah. Yeah. My moment for all of this, because I am the old, is, is like the Beatles. The Beatles, mm. people are complicated. The world is a complicated place. Mm -hmm. John Lennon was a monster to his family, mm -hmm. like an outright monster. And that can devastate some people but you can still like Beatles music. The only thing that I think really gets complicated for a lot of folk now is things like residual earning. People yeah, don't want to be giving her money. Fascinating. And you, But that's why that brings us back to like tech hacking and IP rights in the ways that derivative works and not violating DMCA and other crazy things that the world should be able to take and remix and redo other people's creations once they belong to all of us. So I'm fine with everyone enjoying J.K. Rowling's work as long as Joe doesn't get another dime. If I could make that happen, that'd be fucking great. <laughs> just uh, just the uh, small matter of overruling all of USIP law. <laughs> oh, piffle. Let's do it. I'm I'm game. Heavens to Betsy. Like I'll torrent. I will torrent all the movies as hard as I can, <laughs> darling. So other people can can enjoy them without her being paid a royalty from that torrenting is starting to come back these days isn't it because it i because I, I i feel like at least from my perspective it is a pain in the ass mm -hmm. to get access to all the shows i like just because i have to subscribe to like five different subscriptions to get everything i feel like we're back in the days of cable tv where yeah. you have to subscribe to all this stuff just to be able to get what you want and I think when it was basically just Netflix and Hulu, I was like, okay, it's two services. I can live with that. Pretty much between those two services several years ago, I could kind of get everything I, I, I want to see. But now like every network is doing their own thing. Every studio is doing their own thing and they want to protect their material, not want to publish it on other platforms. I feel like we're kind of back in that cable TV state. So mm -hmm. I would imagine torrenting is, is back up these days. Would you imagine it? I would just <laughs> happily pay like what five hundred a thousand a year to just have a service that manages all of the other streaming services for me. Like Comcast I just will help you with that. Yeah, like I just subscribe <laughs> to one service, and then I have everything. But my TV doesn't support any of that crap. I have to individually enter every single fucking account. It is the worst. But luckily, between me and uh, my friend who I uh, we watch TV together, we have every single streaming service. But well, uh, remember, right at the early part of peer to peer, when there were essentially I sharing tools. <laughs> yes, this Pepperidge Farm over here remembers this Pepperidge Farm. There were sharing tools that would basically just scour open SMB shares. On, yeah. on your network and universities. That's that LimeShare thing, right? Oh, yeah. Remember LimeShare? Yeah. LimeShare, Scour Media Agents. Yeah. 
there were there oh, was Savage one Garden tool. albums. There's uh. one tool that Bobak <laughs> would remember because yeah. the University of Iowa, where he was at the time, had to work so hard to try to track it down and stop instances of it because it was literally one person in a dorm with one instance running could be sharing anything that open shares could see. And I think as bandwidth gets like continually cheaper with the, you know, the Bill Gates COVID body tracker vaccine 5G. Um, <laughs> when, when everyone- I've when met band- some of those people, they're crazy. Right, okay, so yeah. like storage has now affect, I just bought a couple 12 terabyte drives because I had to upgrade my array. And I was like, oh wow, storage keeps dropping. Mm-hmm. Bandwidth is gonna get there. And when bandwidth again becomes not the throttle, mm-hmm. I could imagine a bunch of hackers in a collective. Like right now, people kind of do this with various slingboxy setup. I'll share my NAS if you share my thing. But it's yeah, a we clunky. We used to have a shared one like uh, a couple of years back. It was like one of those things you plug into your TV and it streams mm-hmm. from your own private service. And then anytime yeah. anyone wanted to pirate a movie, they would download it onto the shared box. And then everyone would be able to stream it so you wouldn't have to download it each time. I feel like that's going to become so common. At some point, everything will lose control. Roku devices will support third-party apps that are like the Hacker Popcorn Hour app that, that it literally connects to everyone's shit. And well, the problem with that yeah. is they there was a, something like Roku that did that and they got sued out of existence. And what was mm-hmm. happening is if they were allowing apps that would allow piracy they would then be legally complicit and then they would get targeted personally. So there was, they were just getting shut down and it's like all of these streaming services and cable TV providers have so much sway that there is like no legal alternative that isn't coded yourself and hosted on GitHub. I, well, I'm one, interested one in video land. Have... Oh, go ahead, Trent, no, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. I was, I was just going to note, um, video up? land player is uh wait what what's happening here no you hang up no you hang up okay so um video one of the things that we tried to figure out how to make work while we were dating and not living in the same house um was how do we watch movies together how do we be romantic over the internet right and a lot of that problem had to do fundamentally with the approaching speed of light problem over fiber optic cables how do you sync a service so that you can watch it together um, like we remember the time we watched True Romance that I time when we did it. This is so great. Um, so it's very romantic, so much blood and death. Um, so we tried to watch it together and we ended up having to like click the button at the same time. And everybody's had this experience, right? Like you're trying to watch something or during the pandemic period of time, so many people have tried to experience stuff together and it's hard. I think that um, we're gonna see continuing difficulties with that. I wonder if Videoland had the capacity to take media that it was in some way in the public domain and set up a service like that, I would give them dollars if they would handle a plugin that would remote sync that took into account the speed of light problem and um, whatever the millisecond delay was. Why not so just that. come up with a time to start watching and then have a script launch the player at said time? So I, I actually have done that one before and it's still... The problem that you end up with there is that you end up with lag time based on the operating system of the machines that people are watching. It needs to be a streaming service. Otherwise, uh, you are at the mercy of the um, of the lag time of the machine that is executing the executable. Is like a one millisecond CPU lag really going to ruin your relationship? Like, yeah, that... I, I don't think it is. I, I remember, I remember You're having this problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. 
15 <laughs> years ago, I, I, wow, it was probably more than 15 years ago now, I, I was dating some girl in New Jersey when I was in Pennsylvania, and we were both Doctor Who fans. Sweet. And this was before Doctor Who was even really available in the state. So I would, I, I torrented it and I shared mm-hmm. the file, and we agreed, hey, we're going to, we tried to synchronize click and play at the same time. And we were chatting over uh, AIM as well while we were watching nice. it. So I was like, wow, I can't, that, that really dates me. But uh, yeah, I remember, yeah, I think well, people will find a way of solving this problem, sometimes a little bit more um, ad hoc than, than others. Well, we all, we all know that time is, is wibbly wobbly timey wimey, right? So exactly. I feel like your problem, trying to watch Doctor Who being an issue of timing is awesome. Like, you should bond <laughs> over that. That's the thing. I remember her. She had a cool coat and she came to B-Sides Delaware briefly once. No, different girl. Not that different. one. Okay. Yes. That girl Man. lived in lived in <laughs> Wilmington, not New Jersey. <laughs> Good memory, though. <laughs> I haven't killed all the brain cells yet. I'm working, <laughs> I'm working on it. I'll, well, I've got a... Do you want me to get you something from the bar, darling? Yeah, stand by one second. You can... Oh, wait, your, your ears in the... Ears in... <laughs> guess it's just you and me now. Yes, the way it should be. <laughs> All right, I think we are. Hey, there we are. All right, Camera so should we continue this topic or should we change topics? We're on Doctor Who. I'd keep going, but then I, I, it would take a special kind of nerd to appreciate it. So I've seen exactly one episode ever of Doctor <gasps> Who. I made him watch The Lady in the Fireplace. Right. Mm-mm. I got uh-huh. up to. Oh no! Blink, 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 blink! I made him watch Blink. There's two episodes you make people watch if you want them. To oh, the that, that's what the angels, right? Yep, yep. The stone Those angels, angels yep. are <laughs> so creepy. Oh, let's go. Let's go back. Let's go back. Yeah, there's way let's better episodes than that. There's. Uh, yeah, there are. Uh, there are. Violence in but the you library. You got to introduce people, that's right? Oh, the library one was pretty cool. Yeah, too. like my oh, favorite so... all-time episode was the one where they find out who. Uh, the time the time lord who goes the woman time lord who goes in reverse river song yeah when they river find song. out what her relationship is that episode oh, yeah. when she like gets yeah. kidnapped that is the all-time best doctor <gasps> episode in my opinion oh oh i saw i cried buckets i cried buckets <laughs> okay i actually like water of mars until the last like 15 you're weird you're weird and you're not okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure about that. I also like the Torchwood crossover. That was a really good one. Oh, I was my favorite. Torchwood. I, oh I, my I, god! I, I preferred it to like Doctor good. Who. Yonto. Oh god. Yeah. Yeah. Poor Yonto. Oh my god. I did. The, I the cried fourth, and cried. The fourth <gasps> series, the one where uh, where people stop dying, is like one of the best shows I've ever watched. Oh wow! Oh, I'd forgotten about that one. Oh, it was just Adult heartrending. Yeah, it's it's. I, I love how they are able to do that, where it's mm-hmm. kind of like in the Doctor Who universe, but then they crank it up to like rated R from yeah. like rated PG. I really like that dynamic that they were able mm-hmm. to do. I, I like because really they're doing it a lot now with DC, is you have like the the kiddie type ones, and then you have spinoffs that are like more adult. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Torchwood, I really wanted to come back. Uh, I don't know where you at, Steve Moffat. <laughs> I need my Torchwood fix. <laughs> Bring not in Cardiff, Jack. where he belongs. Yeah. What? Yeah. I said Captain not in Jack Cardiff. Jack is my favorite character. Yeah. I like Gwen. I Gwen, yeah. I, she, I love her. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't like that character. I just felt like they, it, it felt very forced. Like her character, like they tried to create drama with her character. Well, they didn't have to work that hard, especially once they brought Reese into the whole situation, right? So, like, that was just beautiful. 
I love that part. She had to explain how she was a, you know, how she was supporting like an entire secret government agency dealing with aliens while trying to deal with you know raising a family. It was actually it was meaningful to me. Okay, like deal. <laughs> for the next episode, we could just put snubs or Lorelai or someone in in my seat, and y'all could talk about this as much as you want. <laughs> I haven't like like knitted you anything like a scarf you need to wear, so you just be grateful over here. I would I'm wear the. the Tom, that guy with the scarf. Tom Baker. Yeah, I would wear a Tom Baker scarf. I, totally I don't have that much mismatching yarn to crochet for you. I remember him. I remember mm-hmm. the guy with the, the Bob Baker, Ross perm. He was seven, right? He was the seventh doctor. That yeah, was when I, I was little and people watched it on TV. Yeah. I, I haven't seen shit that. since Capaldi. I, you need I mean, to watch I, Whitaker. He was a weird pick. Like, the last mm-hmm. I remember Yeah, Capaldi, I did not like him. I couldn't yeah. understand a word he said. He's too like, scary. I, I, I couldn't <laughs> understand Carousel one. Yeah, no, it's I not agree. Northern, he's Scottish, right? Is it? Well, that's, that's but northern. I mean, technically it's northern. Yeah. <laughs> it's technically, a it's country, northern, but it's very north. No, but uh, is this the, the longest running show that exists? Now? Yes, ever the yes, longest yeah, running show. Yeah, I believe so. It started in the '60s. Yeah. Since since we count um, the 2005, well, so on like torrent shows and stuff like that, which I don't know anything about, um, it counts as Doctor Who 2005, and they start counting episodes upward from that. Because there was, yeah. a, was a they cancelled it for was a bit and they brought right. it back. So it's mm-hmm. technically two different shows, but it's how long really... was the break? The last one was eighty-three. Oh Jesus! They did, no, do you remember they, they did a made for t- they tried to revive it in the U.S. with on Paul a McGann Fox TV show, yeah, with Paul McGann, and, right? Yeah, and it didn't work out. It basically was a flop. They canceled okay. it. Uh, after U.S. Has, I... Yeah, the U.S. has remade one British show well, and that is House of Cards. Everything House else of Cards. Sorry, they didn't remake it. It was a continuation. So, and they actually put that into canon as well later on in the series. I remember that. That was kind of. It cool. worked about as well as a Star Wars Christmas special. Can we move on? <laughs> Don't people like The Office? The Office, the office. was originally British. Ew, no, yeah. no. It's the mean. British version. Uh, it, I guess it's a quiet taste. I didn't personally like it, but mm-hmm. most people I've spoken to preferred the British version. Uh, I personally preferred the American version. I thought the British version was just weird. I don't like shows where people just feel uncomfortable all the time. It's awful. It's yeah, my real that's, life already. That's not my, that's an escapism. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, actually, I remember the very last thing I saw Peter Capaldi in, which was why I couldn't watch him in the Doctor Who, was Skins. And the last scene he is in, his son accidentally calls him a dildo. And he like he just rages out, and then he falls down the stairs, yelling "shit, fuck" all the way down, and that's just my image of him as an actor now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Well, we've we've done pop culture for a while. Are we like? There's still a lot of craziness going on in the world. Do we, we have anything else that remember. isn't political that that is happening in the world today? Um, there's Trickbot hack. I haven't really been reading the news. I I have logged off Twitter for almost a month now, so I'm. You may have missed date. something last night then, because apparently oh, I don't give. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> like, there's no one. No one cares. Like it's all over the news at this point. Like there's nothing that we could say that they're going to watch us to specifically hear our comments on it. Mm-hmm. I was the one thing I'll I'll note on this one is I was fascinated with the fact that the stock market had priced it in already. The the stock market rose today. It didn't decline. But that's because it this... had, it shit the bed during the uh, the futures hours. Uh, the, well, the futures, but it actually rose since a day ago. It's fascinating. Uh, no, it hasn't. Let me check. It priced I it went in... down. Yeah, it went down, and then it almost made it back up to below where it was. So it's still overall down. But if you look, if you're only looking at the New York Stock Exchange market open, 
-hmm. and yes it's risen since then but mm -hmm. what you have is uh, the futures market which is 24 hours mm -hmm. so it dropped immediately when the news happened which was when the futures market was open but the new right. york stock exchange was closed so the new york stock exchange opened lower and then rose so it is down mm -hmm. it just appears like it's gone up i'm just fascinated by the pricing in of craziness. So what is what is Trickbot? Is this stunt hacking? Tell me, explain it to, trick I will bot. play John Q. Everyman, which is my mm. role on this show. And I'm not here just to be the token white guy or to be Tara Wheeler's husband. I am, I am here to be the non-technical person that your audience can relate to and have things explained to in, in their stead. Well, I'm not technical either, remember? So I'm right hey. there with you, buddy. There's this device. It's like a box with like some keys and a and a wiggly thing. Yeah, you got yeah. That? I'm using it. It's called a stream deck. That's how I make this fun <laughs> stuff on my screen. So Trickbot is um, it's a lot of things. It used to be bank fraud. Um, they pivoted to more malware as a service. Well, they called it malware as a service. It's not. Essentially, what they do now is they mostly sell access to ransomware actors. So they will so spread. Is TrickBot a group or a malware package or a it's group both. that sells a malware package named TrickBot? The, the bot is called TrickBot, but the name is also used to to reference the group behind it because mm -hmm. uh, we didn't have a name for them. But um, basically, they've pivoted towards uh, ransomware access. They spread via like typical uh, macro email phishing. And then once they get into systems, they will audit to see if it's something interesting. Like, is it a big company with a lot of revenue? Is it like a massive network we can rent somewhere? And then they'll pass it off to their ransomware group who will then encrypt it. Um, the ransomware group is called Ryuk, Ryuk, whatever, however you pronounce it, which is the ransomware that hit UHS. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, starting a couple of weeks ago, they've been having some network outages, which at first just looked like misconfigurations. But mm. now a lot of people are reporting that someone has been uh, flooding the network with fake infections. So they're actually spoofing like banks being infected with like bullshit uh, infections. Wait, is this the Telstra infection? No, I don't, well, okay. at least I don't know. I don't follow okay. anything Australian. So someone is DOSing, okay. like DDoSing a crime as a service service. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but then it, it, wow. it's gotten worse in that someone is actually pushing out fake configurations uh, changing the C2 addresses of the malware so that the malware is communicating with local hosts instead of the bad guys so that they, they're losing their infections. And, That's uh, incredible. Yeah, so someone basically, it looks like someone has hacked the back end of the, of the botnet and they've started pushing out malicious configs to try and take it down. Um, Krebs reported this uh, probably like a couple of minutes before the podcast started or at least before hmm. we started recording. Oh, wow. Really? Um, and it's not sure if this is a law enforcement operation. It, it looks a little messy to be law enforcement. It looks like maybe either a disgruntled employee of the TrickBot organization or a researcher who has hacked them has decided to just go nuts and destroy as much of their stuff as possible. That's pretty wild, man. Yeah, so this is basically the biggest malware uh group well the biggest botnet in the world is now currently under the control of some unknown party that's pretty cool did they take over emotet uh no i think emotet's still doing okay there was well, some emotet weirdness can install trickbot right yes so emotet okay. is actually a different malware family that sells right. access to trickbot who then sells access to other people 
and it's just like this whole big thing of like of, I don't of know. subcontractors basically yeah. it's it's crime as a service with multiple okay. subcontractors and other i mean i was gonna go for the word circle jerking but uh that's that's better <laughs> well i'd call emotet the umbrella corporation and trick bought the 1099 contractor but sure i mean uh, uh, <laughs> yeah exactly it's 1099 contractor okay that makes sense it's just farming out labor oh how fascinating yeah essentially all of the major crime groups now uh essentially they're formed like corporations they mm -hmm. they have contractors they have employees they have ceos management it's insane it's just like a a cybercrime enterprise like it, they call it a criminal enterprise it literally is an enterprise i don't think it's, well, it's just like the mafia or the mafia yeah, they they exactly. had structure as well and other crime organizations you need it because as once you reach a certain scale to be effective and efficient you need that type of discipline mm -hmm. and oversight you could go through the godfather right now and assign ceo coo cfo <laughs> cso yeah absolutely you could you could absolutely define a general counsel i'll tell you right now I don't you, think you they could have go through and define counsel. that <laughs> wow. i think you'd be surprised <laughs> i think their general counsel would just pull all their hair out and leave. no their general counsel would advise them of the legal risk and say hey if you get caught this is what it's going to mean and they're like, okay we, we accept that risk <laughs> That's fascinating. Would Tom Hagen be COO or CLO? Huh. It took me a while, but that's a good question. Hmm. Yeah, so like there's a couple of these going on now. Um, yeah, TrickBot's having some issues. Um, I don't really know more about that. Um, I'm sure we'll hear more in like the next few days because it's, it's just breaking today. But uh, a bunch of us have been noticing there's been some outages on the botnet for a while that were seemed strange and unexplained. I'll be is there is there any speculation or any known information as to what part of the world this group operates from or are they from lots of places um so the original trickbot group was um russian and ukrainian mm -hmm. and i would assume that this group is also russian and ukrainian because they're just they're too big to have not been caught by now like mm -hmm. once you exceed a certain threshold which they have already far exceeded you get caught like everyone everyone who's a hacker says oh i wouldn't get caught i'm too smart <laughs> no, that's bullshit mm -hmm. once you do that level of crime you get caught though the only usual explanation is they're in a country where they're not extraditable mm -hmm. which is the case uh, there was the evil corp indictments mm -hmm. um uh maybe a month or so ago and they're all in russia they can't touch them they've known who these guys are since forever mm -hmm. but they've just got to the point where they're never coming to a u.s friendly country so we may as well just publish an indictment because like, what else can we do? Right. It's fascinating to watch this mimic the stories of the Barbary pirates from about 200 years ago. Uh, when you see... I wasn't alive it... back then. I'm not familiar. <laughs> oh, I think I won't reach to the screen right now, Junior. So the, the Barbary pirates are the, the, the moment where you figure out whether or not you want to prosecute criminals or hire them, essentially. Um, a process that, you know, I think more than one person in this room is, is kind of familiar with at this point with the idea that when you have a set of skills, a special set of skills, <laughs> that, that it, they're hard me. to find. <laughs> and the the concept here is what do you do when you need to accomplish a goal and the only people with those set of skills are people that have previously executed their skill set outside the law? The Barbary pirates are the ones who ended up getting the letters of mark in the British and French wars, right? So you end up 
with a, a, a set of people who essentially, if they're successful enough, have a choice between um, coming to the notice of nation states, choosing the nation state that will sponsor them, or attempting to, to, to keep their operations small enough to go unnoticed. And I think that the grandiose nature of many of the people who operate in cyberspace makes them unable to keep their operations small enough that they'll go unnoticed by nation states. I, I think after a point, you just get big enough that you get recruited, honestly. Well, it's you don't really get a choice. It's mm -hmm. more uh, akin to being a criminal informant. It's right. the government comes knocking and they're, they're like, hey, look at all these crimes you've been doing. Mm -hmm. Would you like to help us out or go to jail for forever and ever and ever? Well, it's dirty dozen. It's not just informing. It's actual acting on the part of a government, right? Dirty dozen stuff. You know, you got your Lee Marvin and the. Well, I mean, that's what yeah. that's what criminal informants do. Like, it's they're not supposed to. Yeah. They're supposed to be informants, but governments direct them all the time. And it's as was mm -hmm. I said with Evil Corp. It was proven that they were they had done things at the direction of the FSB. Mm -hmm. um and that is the case with most of the the big russian crime groups they are operating uh like there's no way they're not known to the fsb so the only assumption as to why they're not arrested is because they're not targeting uh infrastructure in their own state mm -hmm. and they're doing whatever the government like asks them or asks of them now instead of the godfather i want to watch dirty dozen I'll watch Dirty Dozen with you. Mm. I'd like to eat that one. John Cassavetes being all angry. John Cassavetes is only angry. I need that in my life right now. What do you need more anger for? I'm not angry. I'm never angry. I'm always happy. Yeah, you're always happy. It's kind of But close. you're not wearing a Hawaiian shirt today. No, no. The gun, the gun. And if you have own guns and still own Hawaiian shirts, other dinguses have fucking ruined that. So Wait, what's going on? <laughs> uh, this is the Boogaloo movement. Oh, those idiot dude boys who are wearing like the Hawaiian shirts and they're like It's it's a shame because it's one of those things. It's it's almost racist ruining everything. Well, it's for almost everybody. yeah, it's almost tea party-ish. Gross. The tea party started out as people who just didn't like frivolous spending and wanted some limitations on government power and then a bunch of racists moved in and mm -hmm. made it a bunch of xenophobic bullshit. No step on snack, please. Yeah. No step and on that, snack. And then the Boogaloo movement started out as Hey, the whole system is really tumultuous, and maybe one day, uh, you know, shit's gonna get pretty crazy. That's why I like my guns. And it became this joke, and then a bunch of racists and xenophobes moved in and, and made it freaking horrendous. I like how it's always boogaloo boys or uh, proud boys, and never proud men or proud functional adults. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I love coming from this conversation as a woman who has dated people before. It doesn't surprise me in the least. I think it was Shauna. I think it was Side Eye Blonde on Twitter who was like, "Gotta love how one of the top racist groups in America named themselves after infants who are so happy that they successfully pooped in the potty." <laughs> right. Somebody's gonna ruin pumpkin spice lattes next, and I'm gonna be pissed. Seriously. The pumpkin spice gang is going to be the next. It's, it's going to be thing. like some bullshit, like white lady thing that's going to happen. And I'm going to be mad. I mean, they've already so, ruined the circle game for us. Circle game. What's that? You were not. in. Oh, the is that that and... OK thing? Yes. Okay. Yeah, you, oh, it's from I think it's from the UK originally. If you do the OK mm -hmm. hand below your waist and someone looks at the circle, you're allowed to punch them. Like they have to consent to being punched. And there, it became a meme. In the U yeah, it's very silly. It's a, it's a school kid thing. 
and it became a meme where like you had to go out of your way to find the most insane way to get mm -hmm. someone to look through the circle so people would do like nine minute long videos that are like they look like movie trailers and at the end the camera zooms out and you're just looking at the damn circle and then uh mm -hmm. i think 4chan turned it into a they decided they were going to take the circle and repurpose it as a white power sign to try and screw with people who were currently using it mm -hmm. that they could call people out for being white supremacists when they weren't and then it actually be, became known as a white power sign. Right. So they ruined one of the funniest memes ever. That's awful. Yeah. That's terrible. Like, you know, I know. I, you know what I love about- That was about... my child. My childhood was that game, was just seeing how many people you could get with the most insane circle hand. See, Punch Buggy was my, was my childhood, right? Punch <laughs> it's the-, the, the, the I'm aware bugs. of it. You count love bugs and you, you can use a punch buggy. All of this is so stupid. <laughs> Everyone listening and watching out there, you don't actually have to consent to ever being punched. <laughs> oh my god! I mean, you do if it's a punch buggy. I was like, I was that kid in school <laughs> where if you said the same thing as someone else, they'd be like, whatever it was, like Jinx, you can't talk, and I'd be like, no, my voice box is fully functional, and words come out of my esophagus because I am expelling air and forming my lips into words, and I'm talking. Hey, you you actually don't control me. When you're 37, there's going to be an attractive woman one day who's going to be like, you know what? That's an intelligent response to that bullshit. And you know what? I think you're cute. You want to marry me? Yes, I did. That's what's up. That's how it happened. Okay. Kill me. Everyone out there, you are your own person. Yep. And no one actually gets to tell you what to do. Yeah, but and you can just be fun, weird. Half the yeah. fun is you have to consent to it because then you get yeah. to do it to other people. And that's the fun right? part. Oh, see, the trick, <laughs> the trick is not being into fun. Yes. <laughs> I've never you're been the into fun, fun at all, even when I was little. Tara, you mentioned Overwatched earlier, and that just reminded yeah. me of... One of, uh, some, some of our viewers are also gamers and, and mm -hmm. Tech and I used to stream. So they actually asked us to talk about video games. So mm -hmm. maybe we can talk about the first video game that each of us played or really influenced our lives um, in, in a positive or negative way. Okay. Um, I don't know. Do you, yeah, what? are we going by age? Because I'll be the dumbest, oldest answer, which is um, right in 85 when mm -hmm. it was Nintendo was coming to the American shores. They had mm -hmm. turned their Famicom into the NES. My aunt, uh, she was like the cool aunt who got me the hard to find gifts. She found in the greater New York area the the like Nintendo when you couldn't find it. So mm. uh, there were different releases, right? I never had the robot, the dumbass Rob robot. But I had the Zapper. I, I played Super Mario and Duck Hunt. Um, yeah, it was that was that was a pretty groovy thing. I remember Super Mario Brothers and going from there. But really, the the game that will forever be the greatest game ever released is Mega Man Two. Mm -hmm. And I will just it's got tight controls. The graphics are beautiful. The backstory yeah. of all the crazy robot masters. Not to mention the music, which to this day, Bit Brigade playing Mega Man Two, mm. I will listen to over and over and adore them at every MAGFest and local concert. Bit Brigade and Double Ferrari, love you. Mm. I have no uh, idea what you just said. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so old. Next so, old is up. <laughs> You're in trouble tonight. Uh, so, um, yeah, the uh, just because I'm younger than you, um, mm -hmm. I'm going to have to note that so the first game I ever played ever was over at a friend's house, and it was Mario Brothers 2. 
Um, and I, I remember that, but I, it was only a little bit because I think they like tried to boot me off the computer. The American so I was, Mario I was, Brothers. Too. I was teeny, so I don't I don't remember that much the about reskinned it. reskinned Doki Doki Panic. Okay, if- you're done now. You had your conversation. Oh my God, Mega Man, <laughs> whatever. So um, so there's that, but then there's also the games that kind of really impacted me. And this is going to sound kind of crazy. Um, I think the, the Vampire the Masquerade game I played a little bit, but there's a couple of games that really stuck with me. Return to Crondor was a big game for me. Um, I was super into Raymond Feist. Um, and like I, I came out of the tabletop RPG kind Is of this era, a right? Is this a computer game or a yeah. platform? Or, no, it's or Return like... to Crondor. It's a, it, yeah, it's a PC game. So Return to Crondor, uh, Betrayal at Crondor was the first one, but I actually played Re- uh, uh, Return to Crondor first. Um, and I kind of got a little bit more into PC gaming at the time. And I just really... I appreciated in that moment that I could experience other worlds in this way that I had not before, I think. And I played Baldur's Gate 2 before I played Baldur's Gate. So I'm like super like really dialing in on my age here, I think, on this one. And then I played Neverwinter Nights and I love Neverwinter Nights. I love the concept. I love the beauty of that, uh, of discoverable maps. Uh, And Baldur's Gate was one of the first ones that really did discoverable maps. Was Neverwinter Nights the game that was a joke for a long time like it was never going to be released it, it was vaporware until it was released and then it was no longer vaporware so and i what do you got there oh i bumped my thing well okay that. so so super um i was super into neverwinter nights but the game i think uh, like that was that was what expressed to me that i could live in this different world which i really needed at the time um i was kind of in a not okay no okay place as i was playing these and I think the one that really affected me the most was probably uh, Knights of the Old Republic. I think so many people on the reveal in Knights of the Old Republic are going to be just screaming and going, oh my God, you know, the Darth that I'm talking about, the Darth. Yes. Um, There's like 18 people watching this now, apparently. Oh, out. no, 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 no. Knights of the Old Republic. I'd, I'd go it... for about one. Wow. <laughs> oh, damn. So it's it's in, it was incredibly important to me at the time, I think, and just really experiencing that and what video games could do. The choices that you could make leading to something emotionally impactful like that was big for me. So that was it. Yeah. Tran, what was your first video game memory? So my first video game, similar story to yours, actually. I had a kind of well-off and and cool uncle in Canada, and we spent Christmas with them. So he actually got me an NES with the Super Mario Brothers and the Zapper and the Duck Hunt. So that was my first video game i remember that and i was just amazed by the zapper like how does this work oh my god how does this thing work and that just got me fascinated with gadgets mm-hmm. um i think that was like the first gadget where i actually took it apart i was like there are screws on the side let me take this apart let me see what it looks like inside um so that was i i have fond memories of taking it apart and putting it back mm-hmm. together and it still worked so it was like the first time where i dismantled something put it back together and, and it still worked um there are many times where I've taken things apart and they don't work again, but that was very uh, vivid memory of of the of the zapper in in pieces, basically. I don't even know what my first PC. I think it might be Ronnie's Resort, hmm. which is like a uh, it's a strategy game where you have to get from I believe the hotel entrance to the pool, and there's all these obstacles and you've got to move around things like trampolines and umbrellas. To, like jump over the obstacles but i think my most memorable game was uh call of duty 4 because my my parents were those parents who were uh, violent video games cause violent kids 
and they wouldn't let me have shooting games so um i i pirated call of duty 4 and that was the first time i ever got to like finally play like a real shooting game mm-hmm. and like i've loved them ever since and mm-hmm. i'm a serial killer now i just shoot people for fun but um <laughs> um it was it was like the first game where i actually like i made friends in the game with like other players and then we would we would talk on like i think it was like aim or something back then so we'd add each other on aim and then we became friends in the real world so that was kind of my like best impression of video games counter-strike was that was that for me i i started a clan i had friends i made friends on on counter-strike i even hosted my own server. I mean, right around this time, I also started to dabble in doing e-commerce as well. So I had, I remember an SDSL line coming into my parents' living room and I had my server cabinet where I ran my business, but then I also ran a Counter-Strike server. It was amazing. Yeah, I remember yeah, running tribes, server. actually. Tribes and tribes too, mm-hmm. running my own servers for the, yeah. Yeah, the Half-Life engine did a lot of amazing things, actually. Mm-hmm. Counter-Strike, I played Team Fortress Classic. That's how I got into yeah. Team Fortress. I, I had played Quake. I never played it on Quake. Um, there the was Quake a mod engine. called Firearms Mod. It's it was the yeah. un, well, was it the Quake Engine or was it the Unreal Engine like the first generation? I don't so, remember. Yeah, I mean, this was right around the time when everything that that ID had done for mm-hmm. Doom and Quake started to blossom. That's actually a shame because of the mm-hmm. freaking pandemic we haven't traveled so tara's actually friendly uh like loosely friendly with brenda romero so when we when we're in ireland that's we, saying she i respectfully have no. bowed in her presence let's, we, let's we get to say, we get to say hey to john and brenda when we're in ireland that's, that's the reason my you know pinky on my water bottle is signed by john. <laughs> but yeah like that like what it did blossomed right in that 99 2000 mm-hmm. 2001 sort of yeah. era and so many, like, I feel like mm-hmm. everyone opened their source code and all the engines suddenly were available and people mm-hmm. could code so many mods to so many games. And it was right around the time that internet was getting good enough that sometimes you could have these, again, these community coded projects like QuakeSpy. Yeah. So you could find public servers and it wasn't quite built into the engine in the, in the game yet, but you could find a way to find other people and play. Yeah, that was that was mind blowing for me to be able to find public games. I remember when they first started releasing code at all in that way that you could copy over and do anything with. And this is before they had anything like, you know, copy protection. I remember and like everybody calm down here, but I remember when you could play Pirates on on Windows 3.1 and it was it was five 3.5 inch floppy disks. And uh, it was a couple of Star Trek The Next Generation, like game hollow novels is what they were calling them. Um, And this concept that you could experience choices. At the time, I was relating them to choose your own adventure games and choose your own adventure books. But the, the notion that you could just experience this world was huge. I think the first world that was a sandbox really blew my mind really after that because uh, choices were constrained on a lot of levels then they started moving to more sandbox games like um honestly it was elf quest it was eq really that was a sandbox game that people really started to experience when i was like uh 15 16 maybe and then moving to wow where you could just live in a world that was where i think i first started getting into like you know gold farming and e-commerce and stuff like that maybe and tran i think you did a little bit of that yeah no, I, I always avoided WoW. I played <laughs> Warcraft and Starcraft, but never WoW. Go. I never got into that. And um, I get, I gave it a try once because I was dating a girl that was a WoW player. 
and you hear stories about how guys ignore their girlfriends or anything to play WoW. It was the opposite. She ignored me yeah. to play WoW. So <laughs> I don't have fond memories of WoW. Aww. I think everyone should watch the, the <laughs> Onion did their report once on the, the made up game world of World of Warcraft. Really? And the guy in the video, well, it's the Onion. So it's okay. like, this feels like I'm playing World of Warcraft. My character is a 16 year old. Uh, I could change the color of his shirt and which mouse he uses to play World of Warcraft. It's amazing. <laughs> what's the last game like have any like you guys still play games i don't know if you play anything the last thing i ever played was portal i was playing overwatch like last year on i have been so bad about gaming recently overwatch with you guys i think was the last one i played mm-hmm. i think i'm doing a bit of pubg and some overwatch uh oh pubg play, yeah mm-hmm. did play some uh, the new call of duty for a bit i think uh, Warzone was it? They introduced yeah, cyber warfare been... into the most recent Call of Duty. It's That's trash. not gaming anymore, honey. That's your life. <laughs> it's what so were you saying, trash. trash? <laughs> well, PUBG is really the only thing I've been on and off playing, but I don't think I've yeah. played in weeks. I've just been busy working strange hours, uh, and I'm probably going to get a lot of hate for even saying this. But I also played around with Flight Simulator. Some people are awesome. like, "Oh my god, it's not a game; it's a sim." Dude. It's, it's, it's real life. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I tried playing with that, but I'm on a I'm on a laptop, so I don't have a um, the extended keyboard, mm-hmm. and I you need that to use the yoke and all mm-hmm. like all the um, the the accessories, the peripherals. Yeah, like all the the the, the controls. They're all sold out here in Germany on Amazon, <gasps> so I can't no. even order them. Oh wow. Oh no. Do you want me to ship you some? Uh, no, it's fine. I'm I'm gonna wait until. I'm back in the States where I can play on a proper machine with a, a okay. GPU that can actually carry the load. Oh, I'm I'm thinking about grabbing the controls for that one right there. The sim on that one is good enough that the, that you can use it now. My flight school says you can use it now for simulator training for IFAR. Not go, joking. I go in and I sit on the runway because you can, you can, there's a multiplayer mode and I will just sit on the runway and watch people who, like, <laughs> okay, most people can't land. That's quite hard to do. Like, yeah. So I will I will land on the runway, I'll park just off the end, and I'll watch people who can't even take off a plane without crashing, which I don't understand how that's possible. You just put the throttle to max and then it goes up. No um no. Oh yes. no. That, that's not how that works. Yes. Re- Realism is coming into gaming because for those who don't know, my illustrious wife is a pilot. Student so. pilot. No. So I actually had my first aborted takeoff the other day, and it has to do with the randomization actually that exists in flight sim. Um, I had a piece of gravel and it, it means you have to pull the throttle uh, and apply brake in order to stop the plane on the runway. So it's the that it, it is not a gimme to take off a plane. There's a lot of stuff that goes into it. You have to check engine instruments. You have to yeah, check you're, you're talking about things that can fail. I'm talking like in the simulator, the plane is yeah. always 100% working. And so you but can the just put the throttle to max. How, how accurate is flight simulator? Do it's they throw accurate curveballs? as hell. No. Yeah, do they, they do. throw bullshit like yes, this? Yes, they do. Absolutely. You can, I believe you can turn on like randomized failures of like yes. things. But mm-hmm. when it comes to stuff like that, like gravel stuck, uh, like mm-hmm. being kicked up from the runway, none of that is implemented. Well, there, I think there's the most... all these mods now too that add more randomization and more issues to really? actually yeah. practice failure. So in flight, there's actually you can toggle what can go wrong, what are the intervals in the the randomization. So you can have things like an engine failure, you can have bad weather, or I mean, you can have other random things that you start to introduce and force to yeah. actually pr- 
practice on my uh, my helicopter sim i just have the engine cut out at random intervals like it will just completely stop and then you have to wherever you are you have to perform the auto rotation landing yeah put it in neutral basically yeah so i can get good at auto rotations but like from what i've seen most of the crashes on takeoff are they uh, everyone wants to fly the 747 because like Cessnas aren't cool. You've got to have your big ass oh, you giant shut plane. Up. So they're like, they will just find the biggest fucking plane in the game and they Mm-mm. will fly that. I go for the Cessna because I like the Cessna. It feels fun to Proper. fly. Like I've been in one in real life. I know how it works in real life. I would rather fly a plane that I actually am going to fly in real life than a fucking giant ass boat. Mm-hmm. And um, they will, they'll forget to put the flaps uh, and they'll just they'll fly with either flaps up or straight, which just results in them crashing into whatever is at the end of the runway. But uh, we got off the topic of actual games here on this one. I remember Flight Sim has not fundamentally improved until this year for the last twenty years. From what I, I, recall. I disagree, Flight I Simulator remember... X is really realistic. In fact, it's actually used in a lot of flight training. When did before... that come out? Yeah. Uh, so, um... Fuck, I want to say like uh, I'm gonna have to Google it, but it was it's not that that old. That far old. It, it like 2012 maybe I think I remember one of the I think it was the second generation of Microsoft Flight Sim because when I was 18 I used to work at Egghead Software. Oh, sorry, not sold. not Flight Sim. Uh, X Plane 11. It was what I was thinking oh. of, which came out in. Okay. Well, who doesn't it say when it came out? Oh, 2016. So that is okay. like. I prefer that in terms of realism to Microsoft Flight Simulator because it was not made to be mm-hmm. uh, to have dual purpose as a game and as a flight simulator. It is made as just a flight simulator, and it has helicopters, which are awesome. The last I mean, flight simulator I remember was the Easter egg that was hidden in Microsoft Excel. Excel, yeah. I remember <gasps> that, yeah. There's People one are going to like the younger well. crowd listening is going to be like, wow, senile grandpas. It's <laughs> <laughs> a real thing. Look it up. Uh, I remember the yoke set we used to sell at Egghead Software when I was 18. It was before I, I think I dropped out of high school. Well, one or two high schools at that point. I was selling software at Egghead. And the yoke set that used to sell was the most realistic one available. And pilots used to come in even then. Microsoft Flight Sim is very serious stuff. It's good. Really good. I don't know. I disagree having played it. Like, as you were saying, like, when I said that to take off a plane, you just put the throttle to full and you said that's not the case. Like, that isn't the case in a real plane. Like, there's all these things that can go wrong and you have to check. But in Microsoft Flight Sim, you just spawn in, throttle on full. If you're in a single engine plane, you have to negate the, what is it called? Like, the when the rotor drifts the plane to one side. It's um, P-Force. Yeah, you need to compensate for P force as you're rising. Yeah. It's right rudder to compensate for that because the plane will pull to the left, yeah. basically. So like Cessna, you need to right rudder, but other than that, you can just literally just put the throttle to full and it will take off. But I think in Microsoft Flight Sim, you can configure that. You can configure whether it how realistic it is for. From yeah, I, I, I'm talking like set to the max, like the most realistic mm-hmm. setting. The you most realistic just... setting is one where there's like some kid who's on like an ADSB band or like an aviation like band and who's like like trying to trick or treat with you as you're in the middle of the northeast practice area that's realistic (laughs) at this point no what's even more realistic is you're like you're up there and you're hanging out and someone's like hey joe what's going on haven't heard you out here in forever you're like get off the damn radio we're trying to talk (laughs) and tell each other where we are there you go it's way more boring (laughs) 
something i did really enjoy actually about flight simulators it has these challenges yeah. where you have to land like they give you a plane and you have to land it as well as like you're rated on your landing and oh, cool. you can't change the conditions so it will be like full realism mode mm -hmm. and there'll be crosswinds and the mm -hmm. runway is like a the shortest like legal runway you can have um okay. there's one which is i can't pronounce it but it's in the french alps and the runway literally just goes off a cliff like cool. if you if you fail your takeoff you're going off the fucking cliff there is no stopping space it's basically like an aircraft carrier was like a million foot in the air and, a million uh, feet in the air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is at the top of a mountain. Like this is like no joke. And um, you have to both land, like you have to land on it, which is really fucking difficult. It's really great to see that people get a chance to think through those things. A lot of this and a lot of flying is just thinking through the stuff that that might happen, so that you have a concept of what's going to happen. I've experienced my first like kind of fundamental emergency at this point. And, you know, what, what you have in your head is a series of probabilities, honestly, like 70%, I'm sure I should do this thing, but 30%, maybe I don't. And it's a matter <laughs> of getting to a point where you understand those probabilities, I think, really. Courchevel? Courchevel Airport? Courchevel. Yes, that's the one. Yeah. That yeah. is like, a, that is not a joke runway to land Dude, on. Dude, there's no go around procedures. See, no, this is the no problem. When you, you get a chance. <laughs> like a youtube video and it's going to be your like it, it's this uh folk song and it's my cfi said you can always, always go, go around. around and it's so great like you see like the air france crashes i mean like you know god rest their souls but like you see all of this stuff it's it's yeah. so instructive crabbing in and stuff. don't try yeah. to land the plane if you can't land the plane you have to go around but the fact there's no go around procedure for courchevel airport that's that's, awesome. that's not cool <sighs> Okay, so that's all we've got time for. Um, as usual, we have hashtag Malwaretech Podcast on Twitter if you want to su uh, suggest any topics. And we have r slash Podcast on Reddit. Thank you and goodbye.